Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. Here we are again. Yes. I think I always say that. Good. <laughs> Routines are important in rituals are important when doing podcasting. Oh, so that's my little catchphrase. Here we are again. <laughs> yes, and it's no ordinary episode because Elam is a very ancient civilization. They've been around for longer than most civilizations. And now they have pissed off Assyria for the last time perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. They are pissed off. They are going to have some business happening in Elam. The land of Elam. It's funny how they always call it the land of Elam. The land of Elam. Yeah, sort of a mysterious town. So, yeah, I when we first... So we had so much podcast this interrupt us to do this episode, right? This is like the fourth time we try to get this started with different issues that we had. And in between the one, I, I watched a, a long video 
on Elam from History with Sai, and he he goes way back, and it was it was really good. So I, I didn't realize how Elam was kind of like the kingmaker way way back then. You know, they are they were much more powerful, and not quite as powerful anymore. And maybe even less after this episode. Maybe, yeah, yeah, because at this time. The Elamite throne was changing hands all the time. And also, so we're going to end like 649, 648 and the start of this, but I'm going to just do the whole Elam thing, go right through all the years instead of just going year by year and then jump around all over the, the world. We're just going to do the whole Elam thing because there's things change so much. The king's names change. It's, I think it's easier to just you know do the whole Elam part. I think that makes sense, and we've done it before in decades, taken subject by subject per decade. Yeah, yeah, for this one, definitely. Oh, before I get started, I do want to correct a mistake I made in the other podcast when I said that the population of the world was 66 million. I meant 96 million, so we estimate around 96 million population of the world. That's interesting because it's almost double what it was back in 1000 B.C., yeah. And that kind of makes sense. It's a much uh, stabler world in 640 than it was in 1000. Yes. Yeah, people know things, and I'm sure they had a lot of advances in medicine, but agriculture and that kind of thing. Yeah. That, of course, only goes for the um, for the Mediterranean area or the, the Near East. Right. Um, so back to Elam. So like I say, we're going to cover all this all at the same time. So are we ready? Yes. All right. So a little background, though, if we remember in the 650s, we had the Battle of Tiltuba, and the Assyrians, they crushed the Elamites and the King Tumen. Tumen was that guy, he kept sending all the insults to Ashurbanipal, but then he ended up having his head shipped to Nineveh, and we figured out they shipped him in carts, and they hung him on one of his diplomats' neck, like a necklace. They hung the head in Ashurbanipal's garden, all kind of cool stuff like that. So, the, so, uh, so Tuman died at the Battle of Tiltuba, was then beheaded, and his head was used as an Assyrian plaything after that. That would be correct. <laughs> How Assyrian of Ashurbanipal. Oh, of course, of course. Yes, he is a good Assyrian. And then the prior king was Urtak. He's the one that um, Tuman overthrew. And his family was in Assyria, in Nineveh. And so after this, after, you know, Tiltuba, Ashurbanipal made two of his sons kings in Elam. And there was Umanagash, he was made king at Madaktu and Susa. And then his brother, Temeritu I, was made king at Hidalu. So he set up two kings to keep them not too powerful. So the uh, the first guy, Umanigash, is closer to Assyria, mm-hmm. and his brother is king in the hinterland. Yes, and I, I you know, um, uh, Madaktu and Susa, I think, are more of the, the more major main cities. Yeah, also very much closer to Assyria. Yes. I wonder how this worked in practice. That uh, okay, the Assyrians won the battle. They have the the prospect kings in their care, but how were they put on the throne? Did they have? Did the family of Urtak still have support in uh, in Elam? 
Uh, so Elam was definitely under having a lot of turmoil at this time. So he must have had some support, but I'm sure he also didn't have support because there was, we're going to see there's constantly one faction overthrows the other faction. And then even, so even what happens next is that Umanigash sort of revolts against Ashurbanipal. No, how can he do that? Did he not see what happened? Uh, you know, you would think he would have saw what happened, but maybe he had a gun to his head, so to speak, a knife to his throat, because that's what it seems like, is that in Elam they were, you know, not too fond of the Assyrians, obviously. But also, so what's happening now is the revolt of Shamashuma Ukin. So, again, people are thinking, all right, maybe this is our chance. And so Elam sided with Babylonia and sided with Shamashuma Ukin, and if you remember also who was there was Miradak Baladin's grandson, Nabu Belshamadi. Yeah. So, and maybe he thought that the Syrians were out of arrows. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, Ashurbanipal launches another invasion into Elam. I'm not sure what happened to Tamaritu the first, so we're just going to not worry about him right now. Umanigash's army was defeated near the city of Der, D-E-R. And as a result of that, there was a coup, and he was deposed by Tamaritu II, who killed Umanigash and his family. And this Tamaritu II was the son of Tamaritu I, and therefore Umanigash's nephew, his actual nephew. I see. Mm -hmm. So there's a little war here. That's a really interesting question. What happened to Tamaritu the first? He's just not around. Yeah, I mean, somebody in Elam probably know what happened to him, but most of the information we get becomes from comes from Assyria, from their inscriptions and there's letters. We have a lot of letters from this guy named Bel Ibni, and he's not the same Bel Ibni that was, you know, under Sennacherib that was the, in charge of uh, Babylon. It's a different Bel Ibni. He's a general, and we have a lot of his letters. So he was active in, in Elam all this time. Okay. So, so this is the first time that they invaded Elam in the 640s. Were the, were the Assyrian army actually in Elam? Because Deir is not in Elam. No, it's right on the border. It's in the so the Assyrian army was active in that area because this is basically what's happening here is still the revolution. So this is a battle. Maybe you could kind of look at this like a world war of, you know, of the Assyrian Empire. Yeah. So Ashurbanipal's main target will always be Shamashuma Ukin. Correct. And and you're going to see later in the decade too. There's issues going on with the Arabs on the other in the west. So now this is in the east, so it's kind of like everyone is fighting. You know, like Merodach Baladin, the grandson is probably pretty good at diplomacy, getting people on his side. Yep. Syrians are still pretty tough because it did not, it's not working well. I could tell you that. Okay, so Tamaritu II is king of Elam now. Will he side with the Assyrians? No. He had he's... some success fighting battles alongside Nabu Belshamadi. Oh, mm -hmm. I remember that the Elamites are actually the only ones who can stand up to Assyrians if on a good day they have won some battles against Assyria before. Yeah, 
Well, the mountains help. The fortresses, I'm sure, help. Uh, they can always run back, but they are still fighting them. So during this fighting, Tamarito II, you know, he's fighting against Ashurbanipal. And then one of his generals, the guy's name was Indabibi, and you'll see that in different spellings. So this this guy that overthrew, he's a general, overthrew Tamaritu II in around 649, 648. And then Tamaritu, you won't believe what he did, him and his people left and fled to Nineveh for asylum. Okay, so Indabibi is the fourth king in a year, Nilam? Yeah. Okay, so Tamaritu II goes to Nineveh. Yes. Did he get Asalim? Yeah, so this is um, the Bel Ibni stuff. So it sort of it seemed like it was sort of like a, um, how would you put it, maybe like, you know, the Germans getting Mussolini out, that kind of thing. There was a lot of spy craft going on, and he, they sent letters to, um, messages to Bel Ibni, who was active in the area, and he got him. You know, he went and got him, got him out. The thing is with the Assyrians, and I think a lot of monarchies, right, is that they like to have kings in in place in their other countries. You know, they don't want to have, like, generals take over, change dynasties, more like, you know, they're sort of a family of kings, even, even if they're fighting. Yeah, it's kind of two different levels. The first one is that you, you are a vassal kingdom, you keep your king, he's a vassal king. And the second stage would be that you actually... Uh, conquer the territory and make it an Assyrian province. Exactly. And that's a lot of work. Right. And so if they're going to set up a king, they prefer to set up, you know, a legitimate king, you know, from the bloodline instead of, you know, having some general be the king. I learned that from my favorite Assyriologist, Karen Radner. <laughs> but it makes sense that uh, change as little as possible. Right. I mean, we see that in history, even like, you know, Napoleon, you know, when Napoleon overthrew the French when the, after the French Revolution, and then the, all the kings of Europe wanted, didn't want to have such a thing, so they wanted to put a king back on. Mm. Also, the Romans tended to do this a lot. Yep, absolutely. Keep vassal kingdoms close to the border to, to as a shield. Exactly. So, okay, here's what happens with Indibibi. Tamarito's gone. So then I had to dig through a bunch of Ashurbanipal bragging and praising gods and stuff to figure this part out. Maybe it's just me. I had to read a whole bunch of times. But So what happened is Nabu Bel Shamati, Shamanti, at some point he captured some Assyrians by some sort of trickery. They say, you know, he captured them in the night. And he imprisoned them in Elam. So Indibibi had some of them released and sent to Ashurbanipal to intercede with him and basically tell him, you know, what a good guy Indibibi was. But Ashurbanipal wasn't having any of it because he wanted all of them back and he wanted Nabu Belshamadi especially. So here's what he says. With regard to Nabu Bel Sumadi, son of Merodach Baladan, he calls him son, but he's really his grandson, uh, a servant who belonged to me, who had fled and gone to the land of Elam. And with regard to the rest of the Assyrians who Nabu Bel Sumadi had seized by guile and taken to Elam with him, I sent a message to Indabibi by the hands of his messenger, saying, as follows, Since you have not sent me those people, I will come and tear down your cities. I will carry off the people of the cities, Susa, Madaktu, and Hidalu. I will remove you from your royal throne and make someone else sit on your throne. The same actions that I used to thwart Tumen, I will make happen to you. So that was a real threat. 
and Inder Bibi took it as such. But Inder Bibi, Inder Bibi had sent Ashurbanipal some of the prisoners, but not all of them. Right, and not all why, of them. That's why Ashurbanipal is mad. Right. And he really wanted Nabu Bel Samadhi. And remember, this is the revolution is still going on. That's the thing we have to keep. This is all part of a battle, really, in that. You know, in Nabu Bel Samadhi is a big part of this revolution. So what happened next was before the messenger even arrived, the Elamites heard about the progress of the messenger, knew it was somehow what was in the message, and they killed Indabibi. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Mel. Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty... Daddy! Hey, Mikey! If you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm going to get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> That's also a short career for me in the BB. Yeah. Yeah, I could say there is a lot of turmoil going on in Elam at this time. Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, somehow they found out what was in the message. You know, maybe the Chaldeans were afraid that he was going to, you know, turn them in. So they killed him. And Intriguing. It, yeah. So he's gone. Okay, time for king number five yeah. of Elam. And, you know, yeah, there's a chart. Kavan helped me make a chart. I should try to somehow post that. We could go through all the names. Yeah, so next is... This is his king name. So his name is king name is Humban Haltosh the third. And his name is almost like the other one. So his name his original name was Humanaldash. So let's just call him Humban Haltosh the third. Humban Haltosh the third. That sounds good. <laughs> maybe, maybe like Hank. <laughs> I'm sure Hank will be dead then. Like so King Hank. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, they still they're so Nabu Bel Shamadi still active. He's still fighting against Assyria from outposts in Elam. And Humban Haltash even wanted to give up Nabu Bel Shamadi, but he had too many supporters in Elam. So Ashurbanipal invaded Elam again in around six forty seven. So this is the second time. This would be after the fall of Babylon, but you know, kind of mopping up the revolution because of Nabu Bel Shamadi still fighting. So he invaded again. There was a short resistance. So Humban Haltash's son-in-law was captured alive, defending a f- the fortress of Bit Imbi. And Humban Haltash fled into the mountains. Guess who came back? Who did? Tamaritu too. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a new one. Yeah, he, he was definitely. You know, I, I believe he was captured, taken. He had no choice. You know, by the general. By Bel Ibni, and he was basically just a puppet at this point. Hmm. You know, he do. In other words, if you don't want to get flayed, go back to go back to Elam and be king. That's an easy choice. Yeah, exactly. All right, now 
So this is the second invasion, right? So they did it twice. They plundered. They did their thing. They actually plundered the region of Khuzestan. The Syrian army returned home. But then Humban Haltaj come out of the mountains and retook the throne. So, yep, changed hands again. I'm not sure what happened to Tamaritu II. I think somehow he ended up back in Assyria. He's quite a survivor. Yeah, yeah, he is. These guys are like, if he was, if this was, you know, a, a HBO series or something, he'd be like the sniveling guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, so Hank is back on the throne. Of yeah, Hank is back on the throne. And, but Nabu Belshamadi and the Chaldeans are still loose and they're probably still stirring up trouble. If they weren't, it was just a temporary situation because Ashurbanipal wanted them gone. Right? So now here's, this is the really big, big invasion and maybe... You know, you guys have heard about. Around 646, the Assyrians come back to Elam, and Humban Haltash, he hightails it into the mountains again. Ashurbanipal is, you know, pursuing him all through the mountains, all through Elam, plundering, raising cities on his way. And this was definitely a bigger campaign because the revolution is over. The Elamites, they must have been in bad shape. Yeah, like Bel Ibni has his in his letters, he talks about a group of shepherds that have some sheep on the border, and you know they won't even let the sheep. He says if one of those sheep crosses the border, I'm going to kill all you and take your sheep. So they had Elam, you know, under an economic blockade. So people are starving. He talks about watching two different armies in Elam fighting each other. So it was a real mess going on there. Yeah, but now in 646, the Assyrians have. Uh can focus on Elam much more than earlier. Exactly. So now it's payback time. Yeah, it's going to be bad. It's going to be payback time. Here's what's, so what's happened. All the major political centers in Elam are crushed. Ashurbanipal lists several, uh, he calls them royal cities, and there's 14 royal cities. It make, means me think that Elam is like a confederation at this point, or you know, not very united as it used to be. So there's 14 royal cities, ton of small cities, 12 districts that he captured, Destroyed, devastated, and or burned with fire. The usual stuff, but a little bit more extreme, it seems. Ashurbanipal seems very angry at this point. And I, I think he's like turning more and more into Ashurnasipal II, mm-hmm. the longer his reign goes. For sure. And remember, he's home. This is worse than what Sargon did, right? This uh, Sargon tended to conquer people and humiliate them, and but not destroy stuff like this yeah he must have just let i mean he wasn't with the armies you know he's like king jeffrey he's home or joffrey you know he's home and just saying yes destroy all those cities i don't care maybe it's easier to destroy places if you're not there yeah i would think but remember sennacherib told us that he destroyed babylon but we know he was exaggerating yes now it's actually happening yeah, that's true. Right. He was this he this is really actually happening. Even even like nearby chiefdoms and little kingdoms who had previously they paid tribute to the Elamites, they started paying to Ashurbanipal now. They're definitely afraid. They see what's going on here. Countries that never even had any contact with the Syrians. There's a kingdom ruled by a king called Hudimiri, which extended beyond Elam in air quotes there. They also began paying tribute to the Assyrians for the first time. And here's an interesting one. It was, um, one of these kingdoms was called Parsua, which is possibly a predecessor of the Persian Empire. 
that would be founded by the Achaemenids, like a hundred years later, because their king's name is Cyrus. Yeah, we've been to Persia before in uh, in the podcast. The Assyrian hand has reached Persia before. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, they say that he, Ashurbanipal says, well, this is what he says, Cyrus, of the king of the land of Parsumas, heard about the mighty victories that with the support of the gods Asser, Bel, Marduk, and Nabu, the great gods, my lords, I had achieved over the land of Elam, and that I had flattened the land, Elam, all of it, like the deluge, and he sent to Nineveh, my capital city, Aruku, his eldest son, with his payment to do upset. What? <laughs> Do what? To obey him, obeisance. And he made an appeal to my lordly majesty. Oh, I wonder what the Persians can learn by being at the Assyrian court. Right. Yeah, very good point. I mean, they say, you know, the Babylonians took over the... Well, we don't know what happens. That's a spoiler. Okay. <laughs> So here's how he puts it. So now he did all this business, right? Like he did, you know, captured all these cities. But on the return march, like on the way back, after they already did this damage, this is when they really opened the can of whoop ass. Just like they, on Susa. Just like they did at Thebes. So like this city really hasn't been ransacked like this before. So here's some examples of what he says. This one I love. The goddess Nanaya, who 1635 years ago became angry and went to live in the land of Elam, a place not befitting her, then at that time when she and the gods, her fathers, nominated me for ruling over the lands, she entrusted me with the return of her lordly majesty, saying, Ashurbanipal will bring me out of the land of Elam and make me enter Iana again. So that's, um, Iana is a temple in Uruk. And 1635 years ago, the Elamites, when they were stronger, had captured the statue, you know, and brought it to Susa. And now, Ashurbet, they're bringing it back. I bet the goddess was really happy. She was. What's what she said? She really likes it better there in the Yana. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she didn't have a bed. <laughs> He's put them all together. <laughs> He's got the bed now. He got the girls back. I mean, they're having a big old party. <laughs> yes, the gods are rejoicing. <laughs> oh, gosh. So he also says, I opened up their treasuries inside which silver, gold, possessions, and property had been stored, which the former kings of the land of Elam, down to the kings of this time, had collected and deposited, and wherein no other enemy apart from me had laid his hands, and I brought all of this out and counted it as booty. A lot of this stuff, I guess, had been taken from Sumer and Babylonia over the centuries, and he's just getting it and bringing it back. I like to point something out here. Please. The Persians, and even more so the Medes, are in the mountains north of Elam, mm-hmm. and they have been kept in check by Elam for a long time. Yes. But now Ashurbanipal is changing the power balance in the region. That's absolutely correct. And maybe he really needed Elam, but perhaps that is the wisdom of hindsight, but things will go (laughs) really bad from here. I mean, that's what they call that is the rule of unintended consequences. Yes. So there's a couple more things. This is a big, this is a famous event here. And I think Asher Banapal could really sum up what he what he did here, and I, I would like it if you did it, because you do Ashurbanipal better than me. 
the cigarette of the city, Susa, which had been constructed with baked bricks colored with lapis lazuli. I destroyed it. I stripped off its horns, which were cast with shiny copper. Um, then he goes, then he talks about something else. Yeah, I like this part. This is really interesting. As for the deities in Susinak, the god of their secret lore who lives in seclusion and whose divine acts have never been seen by anyone, I carried off to Assyria those gods and goddesses together with their jewelry, their property and their equipment, along with Sangu priests and Bulalu priests. Right? It's like, that's like so odd, like this weird, I wish I knew what this religion was. It sounds like, a, you know, they had these groves of gods and these weird god names that you never really heard of, and a Sangu priest and a Buhalu priest. Is it taking the holy religion, including all the priests? Yeah, I mean, just wiping them out. Like, he found there's like, it says that their secret, their gods live in secret um, seclusion, like they have, like in Israel and in Judah, they had these groves, you know, this the groves to Asherah and stuff, and like, you know, in, in like the Celts had groves, you know, they must have had these, you know, sacred groves, and just found them and cut the trees down, took the gods away, just like everything. Perhaps they even took the trees. Probably did, if that was what they used. I mean, you know, where's their secret places? And he found them and just, gosh. Oh, I have the secret places. Yeah. In my baggage train. Yeah, everything. But Ashurbanipal is not done. Mm-mm. He has more to say. I destroyed and demolished the tombs of their earlier and later kings who had not revered the goddess Istar, my lady, and who had disturbed the kings, my ancestors. I exposed them to the sun. I took their bones to Assyria. I prevented their ghosts from sleeping and deprived them of funerary libations. Oof. Because he's destroying all the tombs of all the early yeah. kings of Elam. He dug them up. <laughs> I think we haven't seen an Assyrian king this crazy since Ashurnasipal II. Oh, yeah, anybody so it's crazy. It's really cruel. Cruel. I think a lot of the Assyrian kings actually lived on the reputation of Ashurnasipal II. They had those uh, great reliefs of what Ashurnasipal did, and then they didn't have to do it themselves. Right. Because it seldom happened, but now it's happening again. Right. Yeah, maybe that's it. You're right, you know, because everybody keeps revolting now, and they say, well, I guess we just have to show them that we are. I think perhaps Ashurbanipal being the most literate king has read too much about Ashurnasipal. That's a good point. Uh, But he's not done. He will do more things. Yes. I deprived his fields of the clamor of humans, the sound of the treading of oxen, sheep and goats, and the cries of pleasant work songs. So now there are no pleasant work songs in the Mm -hmm. fields. They're just like bad false work songs <laughs> there's no people it's just donkeys like wandering you know like i think there's one part where he says there's you know there's just wild asses just you know wandering the thing because he he sold salt into the fields and he and he planted what we call in scranton picker bushes you know plant some kind of prickly plant that are just so he basically you know made brambles and salt just weeds and salty ugh, mess but this is a uh total destruction total destruction basically like dug up like literally dug up their bones dug up their soil killed the people took took a bunch of their um archers and their troops and put them in the army it's just a it was a brutal i mean this is pretty much 
you don't hear much about Elam anymore after this. And like you said, then the Persians start moving in. Well, you, you, I used to consider Ashurbanipal a great uh, protector of history for reasons we'll come to later, but this is destruction of history. I'm glad he didn't do this to Egypt. He would have torn down the pyramids. No kidding. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Ashurbanipal sometimes gets listed a lot often, you know, as the last great king of Assyria, but well, that might be a little spoiler, but Karen Radner, again, she doesn't really like Ashurbanipal that much. She doesn't think he was so great. Where you stand statue on the, the square in San Francisco. That's because, like, Bill, that's the great thing about him is that he saved all the all the writing. Yes, but not the Elamite writing. No. <laughs> maybe he did. He doesn't mention burning all the books. Yeah, right. Or the scrolls, rather. Exactly. Or the, probably the, the the brick. The what do you say in English? Um, all, all writing are probably on uh, mud oh, bricks. Oh yeah, yes, they would have been clay tablets. Clay tablets. That's yes. Worse. So. Ooh, poor Elam. Poor Elam. There's still a hope. There's there's still that somebody's still running around, right? Uh, what about those massacre reliefs? We haven't gotten to them yet. No, we haven't gotten to them yet. Okay, I'm spoiling things, sorry. Yeah. Are you, aren't you wondering what happened to Nabu Belshamari? Yeah, what happened to Nabu Belshamari? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, Hamban Hautaj, he's not dead yet either. He returned to Madaktu, and he saw it was destroyed, and knew his whole land was destroyed. So, he, Ashurbanipal sent some messengers, and he said, I want to, you know, to retrieve Nabu Belshamari. And when Hamban Hautaj heard this, he figured... Oh, no, I'm sorry. When Nabu Belshamani heard this, he figured going back to Nineveh was probably not a good idea. So him and his shield bearer ran each other through with their iron girdled daggers. So they killed themselves. He had told his shield his shield bearer, "Kill me." So that happened like right at the in the Elamite court. What was left of it? So Humban Haltes is like, "Oh, this is great. Now Ashurbanipal is going to be really mad." So he had his the body laid in salt, and then he had the shield bearer's head cut off, and he shipped it back with a messenger to Ashurbanipal. Oh, okay, Let, let's recap this. Nabu Belshamati, who has been keeping up this revolution uh, long beyond the point where it was lost, mm-hmm. and now he decides to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> and his shield bearer. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, okay, and then Hank is like, oh no. Right. This I'll send the corpse to Ashurbanipal. That'll be good. Yeah. So, you know what Ashurbanipal did then? Tell me. He made him more dead than he was before. That's what he says. How, how did he manage that? He didn't bury him, and he cut off his head and hung it to the back of his brother, uh, possibly a twin brother. So he must have had one of his brothers, you know, in Nineveh. And so Hank's brother is still alive. And not Hank's brother, home. Nabu Belshamari's brother. Oh, okay, of course. Yeah, he he cut his head off and he hung it. So he's got heads hanging all over the place. <laughs> the court in Nineveh seems like such a goth place. Oh my God, gruesome! It's totally like the you know when like I said on uh, Conan the Barbarian, right? With those the evil kingdom with the just all this nasty death and stuff. It's like a Halloween place. I doesn't seem like the beautiful city of uh, Sennacherib the Builder anymore. I guess, or at least maybe there's just like a dark, you know, in the palace, it's just dark, and I mean dark mentally. 
Ashurbanipal seems like a, a really evil king. Honest to God, oh, for sure. I mean, king like like King Joffrey, you know? Yeah. For sure. And the Humbenhalta, she's still kind of around. And there was another another uprising in Elam. So Humbenhalta fled alone to the mountains. And Ashurbanipal... Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay, so there's another uprising in Elam. Yeah. Upon which... Hank flees to the mountain. Correct. Or, or did he actually lose something? He wasn't in this uprising, or he just instinctively fled to the mountains immediately. <laughs> he, he probably has like a like a like a cabin up there in the mountain somewhere that he keeps running to. Yeah, it seems to be working. I mean, I'm use I have to use Ashurbanipal's writings, and then you, you know, like I mentioned before, there's all these different cylinders. There's this cylinder, that cylinder. Some was written earlier, some later, and then the final cylinder, the Rassam cylinder was written could be in the 30s that it was written so it's after everything and he sort of adds it all together so you know you got to piece this together but you know the end of the story is that Humbenhaltosh Hank he leaves he has another there's another uprising he runs to the mountains and Ashurbanipal says I hunted him like a falcon which I don't know that means like Ashurbanipal was the falcon who hunted him or I don't think that Hank is a falcon no, I think Ashurbanipal is the falcon. Yeah, so he, being like a falcon, found him in the mountains. And then later we find that what apparently happened, or he brags about it, that he's him, possibly one of the Tamaritus, an Arab king, are forced to hold the yoke of Ashurbanipal's coach and take him to a temple. And there is an inscription of that, of these kings. That he's like They have to drag him in a cart while he you know, goes to a temple to pray. So he is using the kings as oxen. Correct. So, yeah, the last king that Ashurbanipal mentions in Elam is P-A, apostrophe E. And he includes this guy as somebody who made pull the coach, too. So this is where at the end, you know, at the, at the end of the story in that Rassam cylinder, some stuff seems to get a mm, little bit inflated, you know, they kind of brag a little extra. Uh, uh, no, would an Assyrian ever brag? <laughs> Never. I think this Pa'e is some guy that Ashurbanipal just makes it makes him the king of Elam and then puts him in front of the coach. Yeah, it probably is. It, you know? Yeah, these, these um, Syrian kings are... I mean, remember but, Ezra Haddon used to do the, the replacement king ceremony and stuff? Yeah. That was a weird thing, too. And this this uh, king's pulling Ashurbanipal to temple, that's, that is probably going on in Nineveh, right? Because Ashurbanipal is still not yes. leaving Nineveh. And this is later. This isn't like right after. This could be just something he, he might have even did that in the 30s, you know? He just says that he, you know... And he said they do have, an, they do have a, a picture of it. You know, not a photograph, obviously. <laughs> so what's, what's the Assyrian policy in Elam here? We have seen a ton of policies on Babylon... And none of them have worked. But what's what's the policy now? They they finally defeated Elam totally. So what do they do with Elam? Well, they don't assign any governors. They don't have really have any more trouble. They just left it open. Basically, like what do the Romans used to? What do they say about the Romans? They came and they destroy everything, and then they call it peace. But the Romans conquered stuff. He's actually leaving Elam. Yeah, but the Romans used to do it on their borders. You know, they would go over into the, the German areas and they would just come over and just kick a bunch of butt and just destroy everything and then just come back. 
Yeah, but the problem with the Germans for the Romans was that the Germans didn't have cities, so there was nothing to conquer. Mm -hmm. And of course, Ilam doesn't have cities anymore because mm -hmm. you destroyed them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like you said then, so the Persian tribes start to move in because they didn't do anything with it, and then they eventually became the Persian Empire, and then they would eventually rule all the Near East, and they would also rule Assyria. We will probably mention them again in this podcast. Probably. Especially with our interns that are helping me. We're getting so fast. These guys have a lot of stuff written out for us. We're, we're in the 520s already. No, we will be, not. before you know it. <laughs> but this seems like madness. Just madness. We're just getting started. Why leave this huge area uncontrolled? Yeah. Of course, the, the fields are sowed with salt. <laughs> yeah. Weed, but that is not irreversible. Just scorched earth, I guess. They just can't seem to control it. It is very mountainous. I mean, even the Elamites can't control it. And, of course, the, the Persians, are they don't care very much about fields. Yeah, no. They're more, um, why don't they care about fields? They're mountain barbarians with ah. horses, so they care about uh, pastures ah, gotcha. and herding. Gotcha. So those sheep could probably eat those picker bushes. Yeah. Eventually. Great land for Persians. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what happened. We have to go through the Medes first before we get to the Persians. Correct. And then the, the, the um, Greeks always call the Persians the Medes anyway. Get them mixed up. Yeah, the Greeks get a lot of things mixed, mixed up about this area. Well, next time we'll see how Ashurbanipal uh, handles victory. So now he is the undisputed heavyweight champion of Assyria. And uh, what does he do then? Well, we'll find out. But we're going to jump around because he's... Remember, like I said, that there was all kind of battles going on in the West also related to the revolution. So eventually we're going to get into that. But the next episode, we're also going to talk about some building work at Nineveh. Oh, I love this part. Yeah. All right. So we'll get right back at that quickly. Hopefully the microphone works. Hopefully. All right. I'll talk to you guys soon. Oh, but hey, I do want to mention thank you to the Patreons who did help me get this new microphone. Yeah. Thank you, Patreons. Yes. Also, welcome all new listeners. We broke a record with uh, a couple of episodes ago when we uh, ended up on the Swedish advertising business top list for podcasts with over 2,000 unique listeners. Because in Sweden we have like a, a council of um, advertisers and uh, content providers. They have agreed on a technical way to measure the reach of podcasts. Hmm. And we've never been on that list before, so we broke the record. That's awesome. Thanks, everybody. I just noticed today, so I was quite impressed. That is awesome. I was actually looking for another one of my podcasts, and I saw, what? Fan of History is on the list. Yes. Yeah. We are going to be an up-and-coming podcast. I really appreciate the listeners. It also revealed to me that uh, I thought the list only measured the Swedish listeners, but obviously uh, most of our listeners are not Swedish, so they are also measured. Nice. Well, again, thank you. Do you actually, when you listen to Fan of History, do you hear uh, English ads? Sometimes I do now, yes. Good, because ACAS, the company who sells the ads, they, they have a New York office, so they should be able to sell American ads. Yes, I do. Um, 
yes, I actually listen to the podcast. It's really crazy that I can listen to myself now. I used to, you know, I don't know if you guys ever try, you know, don't like listening to yourself. At first, when I started doing this, I was like, oh my god, I can't stand hearing myself talk. I know I still annoy myself sometimes, but uh, I do listen to it, and I have, have heard the ads. <laughs> I uh, I do uh, create 14 podcasts, and I am a guest on many others. I usually listen to when I'm a guest, but the only podcast I make myself that I listen to is Fan of History. I, I re-listen to every episode several times. <laughs> That's awesome. I just, I just love this subject. That's great. Well, you're good at it. You definitely um, you have a better recall than me. And I will go crazy in the next episode. Because yeah, we're going to get so right into the next episode soon. And thanks, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.